When wine is on trial, the gossip is dishy. The judges are drunk. Wasted. The verdicts are random. So random. This is True Crimes Against Wine. It used to be like, I'm Rachel. I'm going to take all the wine. Glug, Look, glug, 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 glug. I am not a renowned hostess. I'm no Dolly Madison, OK? Well, and in fairness, you had to have some for your boobs, too. Hi, welcome to another episode of True Crimes Against Wine. Bow, bow, bow. <laughs> I'm Judge Topher. And I am Judge Rachel. And we are here to get drunk. Yeah, that's it. That's the premise that's, of the podcast. That's the premise of the podcast. <laughs> so today we're doing a Cab Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh, oh Topher got an early start. Ooh. Cabernet Sauvignon. And what makes this special is that it's a special reserve. <gasps> That oh. has been aged for six months in bourbon barrels. So oh. we're going to see how that tastes. Oh, interesting. I haven't had bourbon in a long, long time. It shouldn't actually taste like bourbon, but okay. it, it should give it like an added richness. Now, what if I add bourbon to it? Then it would probably taste a little bit like bourbon. Okay, and just probably as I thought. be kind of nasty. <laughs> okay, fair enough. But you can feel free to experiment with that as you see fit. Fact checker, get us some bourbon. All right, hand me your glass. Or right. bring it over here. Here's my goblet. got a lovely rich color to it's it. It's a very pretty color. How would you describe the color of it? Oh, I almost lost. <laughs> very red, so don't spill it on yourself. We're off to a great start here. It's like kind of a garnet kind of color, I would say. Yeah. It's a very a bit, pretty color. A little bit plummy. Yeah. Yeah, there's some purplish tones to it. Yeah. Oh no, that's on your pants. Oh, it's fine. Okay. All right, well, cheers. Cheers. Smell test. Smells like wine. I was going to say, that's wine. <laughs> and your professional opinion is this wine? It is, in fact, wine. Mm, excellent. I'm definitely picking up on oak. Are you? I'm not mm -hmm. smelling the oak. You fool. I am. Hey, if you go out and scratch an oak tree, will you get the same oak smell as like an oak barrel? I've never tried that before. I don't know. Okay. Are trees scratch and sniffs now? Is that... I guess anything is scratch and sniff if you try hard enough. Are you scratch and sniff? Yeah, if you scratch me. What do I smell like to you? Smell like Rachel. <gasps> See? Wow. Theory proven. <laughs> <laughs> Let's taste it. Okay. Oh, mm. it's smoother than I thought. It's very smooth. I thought it would be kind of tart based on the smell. Yeah, same. You getting any specific flavors? Uh, nope. It's wine. <laughs> At least you didn't say grapes this time, I guess. I'm not pushing my luck this early on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm definitely getting some plum. Mm, okay. A little bit of, there's like a greenness, but I can't put my finger on it. I don't okay. know if it's like green pepper. Oh, interesting. But it's like on the back end as I breathe in. I was going to say, kind of, there's a little, like, kind of sour cherry okay. to it. I could see that. Yeah. The oak is less prevalent than I thought it was going to be. Okay. So but I'm wondering if that contributes to the smoothness that you were talking about. Maybe. because it, it, be it does have a kind of a velvety smoothness that mm -hmm. I wouldn't expect from it. Yeah. Definitely. Ooh. Well, okay. who is the perpetrator of this potential crime against wine today? Well, we've got two people, and we'll talk about why we're pairing these people with this wine. Yes. So, 
Today we are going to talk about Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings because... This is the Federalist Cabernet Sauvignon. Oh. Where is that made? It is made in... A vineyard. In a vineyard. Exactly. Um, (laughs) Oh, it's from Lodi, California. Okay. Yeah. It's another California red. Yep. Nice. Yeah, so... I was going to get wine from Monticello Mm -hmm. because I thought that that would be a really good direct tie-in. But they're kind of expensive Mm. and it would take a long time to ship. And I wanted something that was more accessible to our listeners. So the Federalist you can get at Publix, at Kroger, wherever. And about how much is that per bottle? About $25, dollars So not not Cheap. bad, but like not definitely kind of in that tier of like you could bring it to a dinner party okay. sort of situation. I will say they did have one particular bottle that was cheaper mm. and could have shipped to us in like two days. Mm. But it was Trump wine from Monticello. And I was like, what? I am not giving that man Trump my money. Trump wine? Yes. He's got a vineyard. Oh, my God. This is not a Trump podcast. This is not a Trump. will never be. Mm -mm. Absolutely not. Good grief. We're not going to talk about him. No. We're going to talk about another president, (laughs) Thomas Jefferson. Yes. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, you mentioned Monticello. Obviously, that was his his biggest state, and it's still functional today. And he designed it. He was an architect He did. Yeah, he designed it. It was built over the course of decades. Oh, wow. Mm Mm-hmm. About... 35, 40 years. Jesus. So, I mean, That's obviously, right obviously when we say it was built, it's not like the main house is like under construction that whole time. Gotcha. But other buildings were added to it. The gardens. estate itself. Yes. Everything, yeah. you know, kind of continually being designed, designed until he decided he was done with it, I guess. I'm not that patient. Yeah. Well, I'm like, also, I want the gardens to be done now. I know. But do you think people were more patient in times before the internet and electricity? I, I guess they had to be. I know. I mean, what else are you going to do? <laughs> There's die of tuberculosis. Like, come on. Read almanacs. Yeah. I guess. I mean, those are your only options. Have sex with your slaves. Oh, yeah. Let's. Mm. We'll let's, get into that. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get into Thomas Jefferson and what he got into. So he was born 1743 in Virginia. He was the third out of 10 kids. Wow. So he was relatively relatively young when, like, the Declaration of Independence Yeah, and all he that was, was in happening. his 30s when he wrote it, which is I don't think of me. that that way. I always, he's like an old right. man to me all the time. Right. I guess we always kind of think of founding fathers as being old men, and they, a lot of them weren't. Yeah. Benjamin Franklin was. Yeah. But a lot of them were younger men, which, hmm. yeah, kind of goes against what you have in our mind. His dad didn't have any formal education, so he really wanted his kids to get some formal education. So Thomas Jefferson was enrolled in school where he learned Greek, Latin, French, philosophy, all those sorts of wow. things. Wow. It's a and, fancy school. Yeah. And then he ended up going to the College of William and Mary, which, you know, at the time, if you had money, you went to school and that's what you learned in school. Yeah. You weren't learning, you know, biology and stuff. No. <laughs> they didn't know no what biology. cells were yet. When did people know where, what cells were? When did they? Yeah. Um... I don't know. Sometime in the recent past, I guess. Like 1800s? I don't know. When were microscopes invented? That's, well, I think that's question one, right? (laughs) (laughs) 65. I don't think that's true. Wow. They were still talking about witchcraft in that time. I don't think those two could have coexisted. (laughs) Maybe they thought that the people who discovered cells were witches. Probably. And they're like, you gotta go. Gotta go. Gotta go. 
while he was at the College of William and Mary, he joined a secret society that's still around. Really? Do you know what that secret society is? I don't. It's the Flat Hat Club. Flat Hat Club. <laughs> Somehow it doesn't sound as mysterious and I ominous know. as I would like it it's to. It's not the skull and crossbones at Yale or whatever. It's right. just the Flat Hat Club. <laughs> I just picture all these nerdy, old-timey men sitting around with, like, these dumb flat hats on their heads. Right. Like, our club is great. Here, here. <laughs> Still around, so you can join it, I guess. You gotta go to the college, though. Well, let's go. Field trip. Okay. <laughs> we'll make a wacky back-to-school movie. Yes. Let's do it. We have to have one, one of those montages, though, where we're, like, trying on outfits for our first day, you know? Oh, and then we accidentally put on a flat hat. Yeah. And then the Secret Society's like, you know about the club? We're like... Yeah. And then we get in. Yeah, that's how you do it. And then we become America's third president. <laughs> I think it's too late for that. What? There's also time travel in this film. Oh, okay. Yeah. Forgot to mention that part. God, we would destroy this baby country. Oh, we? we would mess it up so bad. <laughs> we don't need to be involved in any big decision making ever. <laughs> <laughs> Jefferson went on to become a lawyer. And he loved books. Hmm. He just loved learning. Yeah. Just loved to learn. It's a good trait to have. Yeah. When he was a lawyer in Virginia, he actually took on the cases of seven enslaved people. Huh. One person, he was arguing for that person to get his freedom. And he has this quote from the court case, the trial. We should know this. We're judges. <laughs> <laughs> We're judges of a very specific type of court. Yeah. Though. We're just judgy. <laughs> Where Jefferson said, everyone comes into the world with the right to his own person. Oh, wow. That's progressive for that time. Yeah. The judge was like, overruled. <laughs> and so Jefferson's client didn't get his freedom, but then Jefferson just gave him some money to escape. Oh, wow. So this is what I really struggle with with Jefferson. Yeah. Are we going to talk about it now? <laughs> Let's talk about it. And we'll talk about Sally Hemings, too, as we kind of get to that point in Jefferson's life. And then we'll pause and talk about her life. He... Wrote the Declaration of Independence, where it has right. the famous line, like, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, you know, and granted life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. But he was a slave owner and fathered children with one of his slaves. His children were enslaved as well. He did not give freedom to his slaves during his lifetime. Yeah. Only to, like, two people. And it was after he died that it was in his will that several people in Sally Hemings' family got freedom, but not all of the people he owned. I really struggle with that, and especially knowing his history, too, where, like, he was representing people and arguing for the freedom. In the first draft of the Declaration of Independence, abolishing slavery was in there. Yeah. So I really struggle with, like, how could he possibly reconcile? He had an estate to, uh, to build. Yeah, I mean, is that I what mean, you think it is? Just, like, it benefited him personally, so he's just like, eh. I don't know. I mean, that's kind of what it looks like. Yeah. But I'm with you. I struggle with that, too. And I know that a lot of people at that time got around the whole all men are created equal uh -huh. clause by genuinely believing and propagating the idea that African Americans, or the African people they had brought over, the people who were born to yeah. those African slaves, whatever, were not actually human mm -hmm. in the same way that they were human, mm -hmm. you know? But if Jefferson was 
taking on court cases, advocating, which I did not know about. I didn't know either until I did my research. Now, it wasn't the bulk of his court cases. But still, he did. But it was enough to, like, it wasn't just a one-off. You know what I mean? Even then, it would be hard to reconcile what he was doing with his life. The only thing that I can think is that it just personally benefited him. Because also, why why free them at all? You know? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Why wait until, or why wait until you're... You're dead. Right. Because it benefited you during your lifetime. Yeah. That's all I can think of. Yeah. And maybe there was a bit of insecurity too. Again, we are, we're not getting quite yet to Sally. Yeah. But did he think that she wouldn't stick around if she was freed? Like I, I don't know. And we'll we'll talk about Sally soon. I, I just don't know. It just seems... Not only hypocritical, because mm-hmm. a lot of founding fathers also owned slaves, mm-hmm. but yet we're advocating for freedom, independence, and fighting against tyranny. But then, like, but you're doing the same thing to people. Yeah, I so, mean, even George Washington. Oh, especially George Washington having his dentures made out of teeth from his slaves. Oh yeah, especially George Washington. So when like all the Continental Congress stuff was going on in Philadelphia, and George Washington was there for part of it, there was a law at that time. I don't know if it was just. Philadelphia specific or all of Pennsylvania, where if an enslaved person was there for a certain number of consecutive days, they were just then automatically given their freedom. Hmm. So what George Washington would do, would he would get some of his slaves from his home estate to come out there for a certain number of time. And then right before that time was up, he would send it back and then just rotate out another group. Wow. So it's like very intentional. Yeah. Very intentional. But yeah, it's just, I really have a difficult time understanding how Thomas Jefferson could have justified yeah. what he was saying and, and doing and adv- like really advocating for in some ways. But then in his personal life, I guess just because it benefited him yeah. personally, he maybe made an excuse. I don't know. We'll probably never know. <sighs> Unless we go back in time. <laughs> and ask him, be like, yo, Tom. What are you doing? What's the deal? What are you doing? <sighs> yeah, it's really difficult. As he was practicing law, he got married. Well, first he started building Monticello in 1768. Okay. Then he got married a couple years later to Martha. She'd already been married once. Her first husband. To George Washington. Wouldn't that be a scandal, though? (laughs) She's like, bye, George. Bye. Bye. No, she'd already been married once. That guy died. She had a child from her first marriage, which I didn't realize, Hmm. who died at the age of three. Oh. Tuberculosis? Probably. I don't know. Kids died a lot at that time. Yeah. They just didn't have knowledge of cells, (laughs) which I'm sticking behind. They got married in 1772. They had six children together, but only one of their children lived to adulthood and went on to, like, get married and have her own children. That daughter was also called Martha, but her nickname was Patsy. Okay. I don't know where Patsy comes from. Maybe something to do with her middle name? Maybe. Patricia? I don't know. Peppermint Patty. Peppermint Patty. Yeah. Martha Peppermint Patty Jefferson. Oh. <laughs> and that's how we get Snoopy today. Yep. Yep. I don't know, but she went by Patsy, so that's what we're going to call her for the sake of today's episode. They were married for 10 years before Martha died, shortly after giving birth to their last child. Like a few months after their last kid was born, wow. she died. Apparently she had diabetes, which... I don't know how they could have known that, or if that's just like modern day, like we figured out his diabetes. I don't know. But also, like, giving birth constantly couldn't have been good on you. No. Like, six, Did they know what diabetes was back then? I don't know. The sugars? The sugars? I don't know. Fact checker, when did people know what diabetes is? And don't say the 1600s, because we don't believe you. that's not true. 
They described it, or he described it as like the happiest time in his life. Apparently, he and Martha were really close. She would play piano. He would play violin. Uh They had a good marriage. And okay, they didn't know about diabetes until late 1800s. So there's no way to know that Martha Jefferson actually had diabetes. Yeah. Unless they preserved her body. (laughs) Maybe. They're like, in the future, we're going to figure out what happened to her. No, so when she died in 1782, she made him promise her that he would never remarry. Because apparently she had had some bad stepmoms growing up, and she didn't want her children to have bad stepmoms. And I guess she knew she was, like, on the way out. Yeah. So he he promised her, and he never remarried. He did, however, a few years later, start up a relationship with Sally Hemings. Mm-hmm. So let's shift over to Sally Hemings. Okay. Do you need more wine? I do. Okay. Let's fill up. Fill up yourself first. I'm going to take a sip. I don't know why I'm so dribbly today. <sighs> we all have those days. <sighs> Sally Hemings was born 1773. Oh, so significantly younger. Yeah, 30 years younger than Thomas Jefferson. She was also the half sister of his wife, Martha. Oh. Yeah. So there's already been some dipping into the slave pool happening here. Yes. So Sally was like basically three fourths white. Okay. Because her mom, Betty, was half white and she had been raised as a slave. And so at that time, like, if your mother was a slave, you were a slave. That was pretty much common practice. Even though she was three-fourths white. It didn't matter. Wow. It didn't matter. If your mother was born into slavery and a slave, when you were born, you were a slave also. And it did not matter how light or dark-skinned you are. Wow. So Sally's dad was John Wales, the same dad as Martha. And there is a big age gap between Martha and Sally. So they did not know each other growing up. There's like a 25-year age gap. Okay. So when Martha's dad died, she basically inherited everything from her her dad's estate and property, including young Sally, who was like a year old at the time. Wow. So Sally was raised with Martha and Thomas Jefferson on their estates. Okay, that's even weirder now because he's known her since she was a baby. Uh Uh-huh. That's, mm, Mm -hmm. there's a lot to unpack here. There's a lot. So when Thomas Jefferson was an ambassador envoy to France in the 1880s, he went over, he took his daughter Patsy with him, and Patsy needed like a, a woman to be her servant, made kind of chaperone. She was going to have an older enslaved woman go, but that woman passed away, so then it was decided that Sally would go. Sally was about 14. Patsy was just a couple years younger, about like 12, 13. Not a big age difference between his daughter and almost his sister. I mean, his sister-in-law, basically, Mm -hmm. in Paris. And that's when Jefferson and Sally began a relationship. And I'm putting this in quotation marks. Right. Because let's say they both truly loved one another. So we still have a lot of issues here. Still a lot of issues. First and foremost, someone who legally owns somebody else. Yes. Second of all, someone who's 30 years older mm-hmm. than the other person, who watched that person basically grow up, who's about the same age as that person's own child. Yeah. So there's a, I mean, He's I He's also your sister-in-law. Right. Your slave-in-law. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so messed up, like, the dynamics of it. I think if they did have any affection toward one another, and we have no idea if they did or didn't. 
that's all secondary to the dynamics that were going on, where Sally would not have had a choice regardless right. of how she felt right. about him. I mean, he held all the power. Yeah. All of the power. I'm sure even if she wasn't madly in love with him, mm-hmm. I'm sure that she enjoyed a lot of privileges I'm based sure on did. their relationship. Mm-hmm. And so it may have been on surface level consensual in that aspect, but it still, like you said, isn't fully consensual because... She didn't. She didn't have a choice. There could never have been consent. No, never. She was a literal child. Yeah. And someone who didn't have legal rights to her own, her own self. How old was she when they started the relationship? She was a teenager, Saul. So she was probably like 15, 16 when they started the relationship. Wow. And again, I'm just saying relationship, just because that's the easiest way to phrase it. Mm-hmm. Again, the dynamics are really, really bad. Yeah. What's interesting though is that. When they were in France, France did not recognize slavery Mm. at the time. So she could have stayed in France as a free person. And Thomas Jefferson actually had to pay her a salary while she was there, just like he would have had to pay any sort of, like, servant or maid. Yeah. Of course, he paid her less. She got about $2 a day. Yeah. Whereas other folks got more. Um, Her older brother, Sally's older brother, was also there learning to become a chef under French chefs. Hmm. Her older brother, James. So a lot of people have this question of like, well, why did Sally go back? Right. Why didn't she just stay? I've heard apologists say that before in support of the relationship that they had. Oh, like and she like, must have really loved him exactly, to go back. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, mm. I think it was more transactional. So she had a lot of family still at Monticello. Right. So obviously she wanted to go back and be with her her family. She's, She's still, still a, a teenager. Yeah. yeah. She's a kid. And she and Jefferson also had their first child while in France. That baby did die. But they did come to an agreement where she had him promise that whatever children they had, he would give them their freedom once those kids turned 21 and, like, were an adult, which he agreed to. He didn't fall through on that later in life. Uh But he agreed to that. So she said, like, that was basically her condition for going back to the U.S. And he was like, yeah, sure. So that is completely transactional. Has nothing to do with love or anything like that. that that's how I interpret it. As I think she was just trying to make the best of a bad situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even if she had stayed in France, what could she have really done? She would have been basically doing the same thing she was doing in the U.S., kind of working as like a servant. Mm-hmm. But far away from her family in a country where she doesn't know anybody, doesn't really have a social network to... To rely on. Who knows if she even speaks the language. She started to learn a little bit of French when she was there. She and her brother both started taking French lessons okay. while they were there. But still, like, yeah. that's learning a language while you're immersed in a country is different than, like, learning a language when you're in your home country for fun. Like, yeah. there's so much pressure on you because you have to learn it to get around and survive. Yeah. So. Man, it was so hard during that time to be a woman at all. Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine being an enslaved woman. Mm-hmm. And the complications of being an enslaved woman who could also pass for white and the complications mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. brings to the whole dynamic. Yeah. And yeah. Because I imagine this is conjecture on my part, but it seems reasonable to assume that she probably often felt like she didn't belong anywhere because mm-hmm. I'm sure that there was some aspects of colorism happening. Well, there, there was definitely the thing, and this is kind of like common throughout slavery in the South, where if you were lighter skinned, you tended to get the jobs where you would be indoors, being more right. of a servant and maid, things like that. Whereas if you were darker skinned, oftentimes you were doing hard physical labor, right. whether it was like out on a field, if 
you know, there was some sort of farming happening or just doing like other difficult, physically taxing. And you know, there has to be some kinds of resentment among the women for that. Oh, I'm I'm sure. So, you know, I can't, I just can't imagine growing up that way and feeling so isolated. Yeah. How, how difficult. And how helpless. Yeah. And horrible that would have been. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, we're kind of bummed ourselves out. (laughs) Isn't this supposed to be a comedy podcast? Yeah. So let's take a break and go to our (laughs) cross-examination. Okay. All right, how are you doing online? Are you good? I'm going to top off because okay. I know that this is going to be a doozy. Okay. Before we do this, are you getting anything else from the wine that Great you didn't question. give us for? Thank revisit. you. revisit. I'm a really good question asker. The oak is more prominent in the smell mm-hmm. now that it's opened up some. Mm. The wine itself comes across as juicier. Oh, okay. Like, like you're just biting into a big handful of grapes? <laughs> yeah, like really, really lush, ripe fruit. Mm. Like that plum and that cherry is still coming through. I can still see it being a little bit of a tartar cherry, mm-hmm. but it's a lush cherry too. Mm. Like it just dribbles down your chin, you know? Is that just because you're spilling a little today? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not spilling your spilling. Okay. You're in perfect mindset for a cross You mind your own boobs. <laughs> And I will. All right. So we have 10 questions. Okay. And then a bonus at the end. Oh. A little tiebreaker action? Yeah. Or just for funsies. So I'm going to give to you some statements, I guess. I don't know. Facts. And you tell me if it's about Thomas Jefferson or a different founding father. Ooh, okay. See how well you know American history. Oh, God. And just to remind listeners, we have discussed Benjamin Franklin before. Oh, Yes, but we were very drunk when that happened. <laughs> it doesn't count. All right. I will let you choose the number. I'm going to go with one. Okay. Who kept bears as pets? Thomas Jefferson or a different founding father? And if you, let me be nice and say, if you do say it's a different founding father and you are correct with that specific person, I'll give you an additional point. Ooh. Ooh. I want to say it was a different founding father. Okay. Do you want to say who? Benjamin Franklin. No, you're wrong. To all things? Yes, to all things. Oh, no. Take a drink. Okay. It was Thomas Jefferson. So when he was in the White House, a military captain gave Thomas Jefferson two grizzly bear cubs. What are you supposed to do with that? Happy birthday. Here's some bears. Very aggressive bears. Yeah. So he kept them in cages, which is so sad. That is sad. For two months until they found like an animal handler, which what does that even mean in the 1800s? Yeah. And in Pennsylvania, they shipped the bears over to him. Yeah. So I don't know what became of those poor bears. Probably not a lot of good things. Oh, we bummed ourselves out again. Damn it. Next number. 10. Okay. Who? I was about to mark it wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Let's have a little bit of faith in me. All right. Okay. Fact checkers here to keep keep track of things. Yeah. All right. Who did not wear wigs? Ooh. He was like, no wigs for me. Beautiful, beautiful locks of my own. I think that Thomas Jefferson did not wear wigs. He's like, look at my gorgeous red hair. He was a redhead. Was he? I yeah. always thought he had dark hair. Mm-mm. He was a redhead. Maybe I need to revisit the portraits. That Do I've you know who Thomas him. Jefferson is? We're talking about <laughs> the singer, right? Yes. <laughs> so you're saying Thomas Jefferson did not wear wigs? Yes. Oh, man. Take a drink. I have to remember that part of this. 
It was George Washington. Oh, really? George Washington was like, I'm going to style and powder my own hair every day, I guess. I guess having the fake teeth was enough for him. Yeah, it was a real time saver for him. So he could like put into hair care instead. Yeah. (laughs) All right, you're not doing great. I'm not. No. Next number. Oh, two. Who had a dog named Satan? It was a different founding father. I love this fact. Okay, which founding father are you going to say? Because you could get a bonus point. I know, I know. James Madison. Mm, not James Madison, but it was a different founding father. So yay, celebratory sub. Was it John Adams? It was John Adams. <sighs> John Adams, when he was elected to the White House, he brought his two dogs with him, Juno and Satan. You have to wonder what the dog did to get a name Right? Like I'm like, what kind of puppy was that dog? And right? they're like, I'm calling you Satan because you're <laughs> awful. <laughs> Oh, little Satan. I know. It's so cute. Like, Satan. I mean, technically, here. you know that my dog's middle name is Beelzebub. I know. So. It's like, Satan, did you poop on the carpet? Did <laughs> Again. you do that, Satan? Oh, you're bad. All right, next number. Nine. Okay. Who owned a struggling brewery? Samuel Adams. Oh. You're pretty confident? I mean, it's not struggling now, but it might have been struggling back then. Okay, pick up your glass. Celebratory set. Yes. Yeah, good one. I'm glad you got that one. <laughs> I get two points. That's right. You do get two points. I'm putting double check marks because like, I had already forgotten that. <laughs> yeah, Sam Adams of the beer fame we know today yeah. was a revolutionary Sam Adams. I did not know that he actually did own a brewery. I thought yeah, that, he, that was just named after him. No, I had always thought that too. No, he was not good at it though. His heart wasn't in it. Do you know what he really loved to do instead? Bird watching. No. Nipple watching. Maybe. I don't know. That's not recorded in history. Horrible. Also, how do you nipple watch? Are you just like out with binoculars in case somebody's like dress slips? Yeah. I'm like, got one. Or like when it's really cold outside, you know? Oh, uh, okay. Just to like see through. Yeah. No, he was, he was basically a pirate. Oh. Yeah. So he loved smuggling and things to avoid British taxes. That's fun. And at one point... The British put a 500 pounds, yes, it's a dollar, say dollar pound, a 500 pound price on his head. And he was like, that's too low. It should be <laughs> higher. And he ended up founding what's basically now the Coast Guard. Really? Yeah. So the Coast Guard was originally like piracy? Kind of. That's cool. Because I guess he found ways around stuff. And then after the Revolutionary War, they realized like we do need somebody to actually guard the coast. Let's make the Coast Guard. Perfect. Wow. Way to think outside the box with the naming there. Probably had some beers at that point. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Next number. That was nine. Mm -hmm. Let's do three. Okay. Who founded what is now West Point? (gasps) (gasps) Oh, George Washington. Okay. You're pretty confident with that? I'm pretty confident. Uh Uh-huh. No? Sip a shame. Who was it? Wrong. Take a drink. Thomas Jefferson. Really? Yeah. Who I never really thought of as a military guy, but he did have a little experience. And he, after the Revolutionary War and when he was early into his presidency, he decided that the U.S. really needed some sort of like military academy to train officers and to just, you know, make sure the U.S. didn't fall apart mm-hmm. like a decade after becoming independent. Right. Oopsie. <laughs> so, yeah, that's now West Point. Interesting. Yeah. All right, next number. Eight. He was our littlest founding father. Our littlest? Yeah, and he's still the tiniest president ever. 
I'm going to say it's not Thomas Jefferson. Okay. Because everybody know he was swole. He was swole. <sighs> was it James Madison? Was it? Was it? Are you, is that what you're going with? Was it? Celebratory sip! Yay! Yeah, how tall was he? Just for fun, I'll tell you. Five, two. He was 5'4". Oh, I was going to say 5'4", and I was like, maybe that's too tall because I know people were shorter back then. Yeah, people were shorter back then. Do you know how much he weighed? No. 100 pounds. Oh, he was a wee little man. Yes, he was a wee little man. I love that. He was a small little pocket-sized dude. Oh. You know when you have, like, really small gay people, they're called pocket gays? Because you put them in your pocket? Yeah, you just put them in your pocket. So, Fact Checker and I had a friend. She's still around. She's still our friend. (laughs) I don't know why we're using past tense. Fact checker. Because fuck her her. now. No, she's lovely. She's a very petite woman. And in high school, we would call call her Franny in a pocket because we're like, you can put her in a pocket because she's so little. All right. Don't forget my extra point. I marked it. Okay. Just just making sure. Just making sure. Oh, my God. All right. Next number. Four. Who wanted to change up the alphabet? You felt that deep in your soul. Change up the alphabet? Yeah. For what purpose? To make it better. Okay. I feel like that's one of those, if it's not broke, don't fix it situations. Mm-hmm. Was it Thomas Jefferson? No, it was Benjamin thought? Franklin. It was Benjamin Franklin. And how do you know that? My gut. <laughs> Celebratory sip, but also super shame because we very specifically discussed this. On our Ben Franklin episode. Do you remember why he wanted to do it? Yeah, because he thought some letters were garbage. Oh, yeah. He just wanted to get rid of some letters. I was yeah, thinking, like, was switching adding... the order of letters oh, around. And well, I'm like, why? Well, he wanted why? to add some letters in, like, CHs and stuff in, which yeah. makes sense. I get that. Interesting. Oh, ben, ben Franklin, you wacky man. At that point, just use the Greek alphabet, I feel like, you know? I mean, probably. Jefferson loved Greece, so he probably would have been, like, all aboard that train. Yeah, he'd been eating his turkey. And then he'd be like, what's a train? Yeah. Why am I eating Ben Franklin's favorite bird? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Three more left. Seven. Okay. Whose wife was a celebrated hostess? Uh, James, Ad- John Adams. John Adams. You're going John Adams? Yeah. His wife, that was Abigail Adams, right? Or was that? Abigail Adams was James Adams' wife. Yeah. yeah. And she was a celebrated hostess. I know that. Okay. Take a drink. Because it was not Thomas Jefferson, but it was Dolly Madison, actually. Mm, damn it. Yeah. The Adam- Hello, Dolly. Yep, that's where the musical comes from. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Dolly Madison was credited, actually, for saving the White House during the War of 1812. That's right. I think mm-hmm. I mixed her up with Abigail. I think you did. Yeah, so when Jefferson became president, remember, his wife was already dead at that time and he didn't remarry. So he had his daughter Patsy kind of being hostess until mm. he was like, I need, a, like, an adult in here who knows what they're doing. So Dolly Madison was like, I'm great at hosting. I'll do it. And he's like, thank you, friend. Come in and be the hostess. That's amazing. Yeah. All right. Two more. Five. Okay. Who became a whiskey maker after his presidency ended? Hmm. Hmm. I'm going to say a different founding father. Okay. Any guesses as to who? Try to get that bonus point. I know. I'm trying. I'm trying. I'm running out of presidents. Now, some people have been repeated. It's true. Yeah. I hate to say James Madison again, but. Little James? Little James. We little James. 
He, he jumps was, in the whiskey barrels. Help, I'm It drowning. was a leprechaun whiskey. Oh, no. Are we going to travel back in time and just bully James Madison? Oh, no. Poor James Madison. <laughs> Are you saying him? Yeah. Okay. You're correct that it's not Thomas Jefferson. Was it John Adams? No, it's George Washington. Oh, interesting. Yeah. He founded what's like the largest whiskey distillery. I don't know if it still is, but it was at the time. Do you know what it was called? Washington's Whiskey. Aye. Aye. <laughs> Aye. At the end. And it's a little revolutionary guy shrugging like, eh? Yeah. All right, last question. Last question. Who was known for the first political sex scandal? <gasps> well, I mean, Thomas Jefferson was boinking his sister-in-law slave, so... But I don't know that they would necessarily find that to be scandalous back then. It's like run-of-the-mill. Yeah. Oh, Tommy's doing it again. I don't know why we're British now. (laughs) Well, I would think that they would have English accents back then. Maybe. I don't know. Again, we have to time travel. They're like one generation away from... Yeah, they're not that far removed. Yeah. Are you saying Thomas Jefferson? Are you saying somebody else? But Ben Franklin liked to boink old ladies. Mm Mm-hmm. He sure did. He liked to boink everything, I think. Yeah. I think Ben Franklin was a dirty dog. <laughs> I think he was getting around. I think he was probably a good time at parties. Um, I think he was, too. <laughs> I'm going to go with, it's been a while since we had a Thomas Jefferson. I'm going to go with Thomas Jefferson. Eh. Was it Ben Franklin? No. Okay. Fact checker, do you know who it was? Yes, thank you, Alexander Hamilton. Oh, I wasn't even thinking outside of presidents for Because some he was killed in the duel. Yeah. And he never became president. Is that what the duel was about? Was the sex scandal? No, I think Aaron Burr killed him. I think Aaron Burr just didn't like him. Yeah, that's fair. Fair. No, I need to watch Hamilton again, clearly. Right? <laughs> so the sex scandal was Hamilton was banging a married woman. And I don't know if it was a case of blackmail or somebody was like, I'm going to tell everybody unless you give me money. But Hamilton basically told on himself, like, he wrote about it and published it. He's like, yeah, I fucked her, man. What you going to do? Wow. Yeah. So let's see how you did. Okay. So with your bonuses, you got eight correct. Wow. But let's do a little bet. Oh, no. our bonus question. You just want me to lose. I do. All right. It's a bonus question. Okay. How many points do you want to wager out of your eight? Fuck it. I'm going to go all eight. Hell yeah. Okay. Tell me about when the term founding father became popularized. You can tell me the time range. You can tell me who coined that term. I'm going to be generous with you on the accuracy with them. It was coined around the time of the centennial. Okay. So think like 1876-ish. Okay. By a newspaper man. Oh. Harry M. Pottersmith. The Harry M. Pottersmith? Yes. Pottersmith Papers? Mm-hmm. Pottersmith Papers out of Pittsburgh, oh. Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Lots of P's there. Uh-huh. The alliteration is completely coincidental. Yes. And he had an obsession with American history. Mm-hmm. And he was called upon to write a special op-ed for mm. the centennial. Mm. And so he coined the term founding fathers and listed, you know, his his heroes from mm-hmm. history. Mm-hmm. Sadly, you're wrong. <laughs> so you are now down to zero points. Are you sure it wasn't Potter Smith in Pittsburgh, Pittsylvania? I'm sure. Potter Smith papers? 
I'm sure you want to give it a real guess. I will tell you it was a president who coined this term. Mm. That helps you. I don't think you're going to get it. Andrew Jackson. Mm. No. Abraham Lincoln. No, he was dead. Something Tyler. <laughs> no. You're seeing all the presidents you can think of right McKinley. now. McKinley. He got shot. That doesn't mean he couldn't have coined it. <clears throat> On his deathbed. He's like, by the way, founding fathers would be a real cool name. <laughs> it was Warren G. Harding, everybody's favorite. Who the fuck is Warren G. Harding? He was president in the 20th century, right before the Depression, I want to say. Yeah, fact checkers agreeing on that fact. So he started using this term in the 1910s in speeches about, like, American history. And there was, like, a big nationalist movement in the early 1900s, too, because they're like, immigrants, ooh, scary. Scary immigrants. We're not a melting pot anymore. No. (laughs) You don't even know what fondue is. Italians aren't white. Well, yeah, that's all part of it. So by the 1920s rolled around, like, people were like, yeah, founding fathers. I really like that kind of phrase. They stuck with it. Interesting. Interesting. So you got zero. I feel like I should get partial credit because I was very close in the timeline there. Um, you were about, like, 40 years off. <laughs> in the grand scheme of time. Yes. That's pretty damn close. Well, if we're talking about grand scheme of time. Which we are. Are we? <laughs> This is not an archaeological podcast over. <laughs> Damn it. Damn it. So congrats to Rachel once again. So do I have to chug the rest of what's in my glass now? Yeah, let's chug it and fill it up. <sighs> Goes down very smooth. Yeah, I. you mentioned like you could bring this to a dinner or party. I agree with you. I think this would hold up really well with food. Mm. But it doesn't necessarily have to be a food wine. Fact checker, feed us and we'll see. <laughs> I agree. I could see, like, having some snacks with this wine or sitting down for a meal with it. Can I see your glass real quick? Yeah? Why? Are we are you, like, looking how evenly you poured? You are so even. I still got it, babe. It's like you still were trained. <laughs> got it. Cheers. Better than when I pour. <laughs> <laughs> You've gotten better since then. Better at giving you an equal portion. Yes. <laughs> okay. It used to be like, I'm Rachel. I'm going to take all the wine. Glug, Look, glug, 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 glug. I am not a renowned hostess. I'm no Dolly Madison, okay? Well, and in fairness, you had to have some for your boobs, too. That's, yeah. I'm, you know, I haven't spilled once. That's good. Let's see how long this lasts now that I've spoken this out loud. It's going to be a polka dot shirt from now on. <sighs> Man, I really should just wear only wine-colored clothes. I'm just going to get you lobster bibs Aww, to wear. Thank you. I'd appreciate that. And lobster. I don't want that. Thank you. Let's get back to Sally Hemings and Thomas Jefferson. Yeah, now that we've been having fun. Yes. Let's bring it down let's a notch. bring down the energy some more. So Sally and Jefferson obviously went back to the U.S. He became president. He did a lot of very notable things as president. Louisiana Purchase, Lewis and Clark Expedition. What else did he? Oh, he founded the University of Virginia after he was president. But not William and Mary. No, well, he already was there, so he was like, too late. Made West Point, all this stuff. Two, so Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings had six children together. I don't remember if I told you that already. Yeah. Okay, good. But only one of them survived. Nope. No, that was with his wife. That was with his wife. So he fathered 12 children over the course of his lifetime. Yes, that we know about. And maybe there were other kids elsewhere. Who knows? Maybe. I don't know. He... And Sally had two children who actually escaped slavery. 
Really? Their son, Beverly, and their daughter, Harriet, both escaped. Harriet Tubman? Mm-hmm. Can you believe it? No. Yeah, because it's not real. <laughs> it's the same name. But um, Beverly and Harriet escaped in the 1820s. Wow. And they went north, and Thomas Jefferson basically said, ah, don't go after him. Uh, can't be bothered. Can't be. I'm like, ah, just, just let those wacky kids get their freedom. They deserve it. They'll be back. No. They never came back. Good for them. Yeah, good. Like, they actually got away from the horrors of slavery. Where did they go? Up north. I don't know. I don't know where exactly. Because, I mean, at that time, slavery wasn't... Like, people in the north still had slaves, right? Not all states. So it was really oh. dependent state by state. So states like New York had already outlawed slavery. States like Maryland still very much had slavery. Okay. So basically, like, the farther north you went, the less likely it was to be a slave state or to have laws that would require, like, a fugitive slave to be returned. You know what's interesting? <clears throat> Besides my tuberculosis. Yes. Please don't die of TB. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try and last out the rest of the podcast episode. Is that you had mentioned earlier that France had outlawed slavery. Mm-hmm. However, French Canada still had, like, chattel servitude for indentured servitude, which mm-hmm. was a form of slavery, but it was like a legal runaround kind of situation. Yeah, and the thing with that sort of situation was, like, usually there was a set number of years on it. And also, if you had a child born to you, regardless of what your situation was, that child would not also be born into slavery. Mm-hmm. So there were some exceptions, I guess. It wasn't yeah. as bad as slavery in the U.S. in a lot of ways, but still not great. There's a book that you would probably really enjoy. I read as a kid and it's by, oh, what's her name? Elizabeth something. She wrote The Witch of Blackbird Pond. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. It's by her and it is about this girl named Miriam and her sister mm. who are pioneers mm-hmm. up north mm-hmm. and get captured by Indians mm-hmm. and then taken to Montreal. Mm-hmm. And they become indentured servants for this very wealthy French family that's living there. Mm. And she has a knack for dressmaking. So she becomes a dress designer for this family. Uh Yeah. And basically creates whole new fashions and everything. And it was, I really enjoyed it as a kid. But it talks about their struggle and a little bit of romance. Was it one of those coming to America books? No. It wasn't part of that series? Mm -mm. Not coming. No, it wasn't. You're talking, about Dear, Murphy movie. you're talking about Dear America. Yes, thank you. No, it wasn't It wasn't like a journal kind <laughs> of situation. All that new book idea. A Dear America book, but with Eddie Murphy as the protagonist. Absolutely. Yes, sold. Yes, thank you. Yeah, that does sound interesting. Yeah, it was really good. I read it again as an adult and it totally held up. So. Really? Mm-hmm. That's good to know because I have a real fondness in my heart for some of those young adult books. But I always, I'm like, if I go and reread it, will it just be bad? Which a Blackbird Pond holds up to. Oh, does that, that's good yeah, to too. it's really good. I remember really liking that in mm-hmm. Black Beauty. I think I read them both in a short time span. I haven't read Black Beauty since I was a kid. It was my very brief horse girl phase. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that you had a horse girl no, phase. No, well, I took horseback riding lessons, and then the horse threw me, and I was like, I am done. Yeah, that's fair. Well, I was like, nope, no more. You can get seriously hurt by this giant animal, I'm out. Yeah. That's fair. Fair. Yeah, let's get back to Sally Hemings. Okay. Let's go down the side road. Back up on that horse. Ooh. Nice. Nice pun. Thanks. Yeah, I'll toast to you. Thank you. She's actually a really renowned horseback rider. Was she? No. (laughs) She could have been. (laughs) She could have been. Who knows? Everybody rode horses back then. What else are you going to do? Walk? 
On your own two feet? When you could ride a horse with their four feet? Right. <laughs> right. Come on. Double the feet. Double the feet, double the fun. Mm-hmm. No, so she continued to, to work as a servant on Monticello. Um, a servant? Mm-hmm. That's basically her role was she's kind of a maid lady servant. Servant implies pay, I'm just saying. Well, yeah, so obviously that wasn't her official title. That was kind of the jobs that she performed. So it's like kind of house chores kind of things. They had a bunch of kids together. Thomas Jefferson ended up freeing, remember I said earlier, only two enslaved people while he was alive. They were both Sally's older brothers. Oh, wow. So one was her brother, Robert, who had to pay for his freedom, which is super messed up. How did he get the money? I guess, well, sometimes people could have been, like, loaned out to different places to earn some extra money mm. in the meantime. So that maybe that was that situation. I don't know. And the other one was her older brother, James, who was the French chef. Yeah. He got his freedom. That's good. Did he yeah. continue to work for Thomas Jefferson as his chef? I, I don't know if he stayed there or if he went elsewhere. Again, it'd be hard to because your whole family's there. And I think James and um, Sally were close because, again, they had that time in France together. But I don't know. I don't know. The rest of Sally and Thomas Jefferson's kids did not get their freedom until Thomas Jefferson died in 1826. So did he renege on the 21? Yeah, he was. He did plus? not follow through on that, basically. Mm, what does Sally have to say about that? What could she have said? No more pussy for you. Could she? No. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> no, she No, couldn't. I mean, there's really not much she could have done. And it was interesting, the person, the executor of his will was his daughter, Patsy, who was the niece of Sally. Yeah. So Patsy kind of ended up granting her aunt her own freedom, along with the freedom of her cousins. So fucked up. So messed up. So messed up. But when Thomas Jefferson died, he was over $100,000 in debt. I thought you were going to say he was over 100 years old. And I was like, no, that would the be math bananas. is not mathing yeah. there. <laughs> However, he was pretty old if he, he died he in was, 1926. He was, or 1926. <laughs> he was real old. Real, real old in 1826. Yeah. He was almost 100, right? If he, he was 80. Or a little less than 80. I thought you said he was born in the... Thir or no, he was born 18, in the 40s. 17, in the 1740s. This is when the wine comes in. What is happening right we now? We don't know. The time travel really got <laughs> us messed up. No more numbers, please. My head hurts. Okay. So all the other people who had been enslaved on Monticello were basically sold off to other places. So no freedom for them. Mm -mm. Just the Hemings family, basically. And I'd be so upset. As mm -hmm. one of those other slaves. I mean, mm -hmm. I'd probably be upset about... Everything? Everything, yeah. Yeah, like, this is fucked up. <laughs> yeah. Sally and Thomas's son, Madison, wrote a memoir about his life in the 1870s. So that's why we actually know some stuff about Sally. That's really convenient. That You sound... That's usually something somebody says when they're skeptical. <laughs> no, I was about to say that's really great, but it's not great to have to write a... Sure, I get you. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in, in that memoir, he acknowledged that Thomas Jefferson was his father and his other siblings did acknowledge that in their lifetimes too, even though that wasn't acknowledged officially until recently, maybe in the past like five, 10 years when that was like officially like, oh, we did DNA tests. Turns out they were I'm right. 100% that bitch. Yeah. Thomas Jefferson's descendant. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I saw something about a bunch of his 
descendants going to Monticello. Yeah, there have been. So there have been, like, different news clips about people who went to Monticello who are descendants of Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings. Yeah. What's really interesting, though, is that out of Thomas and Sally's kids, so four of them, sorry, survived until adulthood. The one baby died really early. I guess another child died fairly young, too. So four of the six lived until they were adults. Three out of the four of them later identified as white. So I was going to yeah. bring up a point about that because mm-hmm. in the story that I read about Sally Hemings and Thomas Jefferson's yeah. descendants going, it was actually a black family. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was really interesting after we've been talking about how white passing mm-hmm. she was and how white passing her kids her would kids have been. Her kids were even more yeah. white passing than she was, yeah. It's interesting that along the, the road somewhere, at least one of them went back and married or had children with a black woman again, yeah. even though they were white, you know? That's just interesting for that time period to It is. And I think it really but, depended on, too, where her different kids landed. Yeah. So her son, Madison, who wrote the book, he identified as black or maybe mulatto, like the term used at the time to yeah. describe somebody of mixed European and African heritage. And he married, I do believe he married a woman who was black. The other kids, some of them married freed people as well. Some of them married white people. So he has some descendants who look white to us in our modern eye and what we think of as race. And some descendants who look black. Yeah. In our modern view of what does white mean? What does black mean? And then there's obviously people who are in between with that too. Yeah. So it is interesting. I think, of course, to some people, like obviously passing as white would give you way more legal advantages at the time. 100%. So if if they could, I would be like, yeah, I completely understand why somebody would do that. And if the majority of your heritage was European heritage too. Yeah. Totally understand that as well. Two things. First of all, have you ever seen the film, the old film, Imitation of Life? Yes. About the girl yes. who is white passing but has a black mother. Mm-hmm. And, ugh, like Talk about it like. Yeah. Ugh, it's such a hard movie to watch, but it was really, really good. It's really good, yeah. And then also, you want to hear something really fucked up but funny at the same time? Okay. So my great uncle, my grandmother's brother, Mm -hmm. uses the term mulatto when he's talking about people who are like half black, half white, Mm -hmm. which is problematic as fuck. Yes. But he doesn't know the actual term, so he calls them my Lanta children. My Lanta? Yeah. Like, do you think that, does that help with, like, indigestion? Yeah, he's like, oh, no. he's like, yeah, you know that family down the road that has those Mylanta children? Oh, <laughs> like, oh, old-timey racist person. Right. It's problematic as fuck, but it's also kind of funny that he's that ignorant, too. And so. he gets the name totally wrong. Yeah, he gets yeah. it totally wrong. I mean, better than actually saying a term that is offensive to people. Yeah. That way. Goodness gracious. Some of Sally Thomas Jefferson's descendants went on to very different careers. Some were musicians. Lionel Richie. <gasps> yes. That would be amazing. That would be really crazy if that were the case. No, remember Thomas Jefferson played violin? Mm-hmm. So several of Sally and Thomas Jefferson's kids, their sons, also learned to play violin. Are you saying that Joshua Bell is a descendant? I am. Oh, my gosh. What about Yo-Yo Ma? Yes. Wow. Yeah. You heard it here first. You you did hear it here first. Not accurate, but you heard it here. (laughs) No, so one of the the kids, I don't know if it was one of their sons or grandsons, became like a band leader. That's fun. Which is really cool. 
Some of the descendants fought as soldiers on the Union side in the Civil War. It'd be kind of fucked up if they fought. I know the other that side. would be really. I'm like, whoa, buddy. We just did a U-turn here. Do you know who your grandpa was? Right. And your grandma was because um, and one of the I don't know if it was grandson or great grandson moved to LA and was like one of the first people of like black heritage to become an, like an elected leader in Los Angeles. Wow. Yeah. That's really cool. I know. Isn't that really cool? Do you know what the time period was for that? I did not write that down. So no. Okay. There's no way to find out. Now. There's no way to find out. Writing wasn't invented yet. Right. Which right. is why they didn't know about the cells or the diabetes. Thank you. Thank you. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, but I just think that's, it's so cool just to think of, like, people who have connections to these historical figures, like, through their family heritage, but then also to recognize, too, excuse me, that <laughs> these children went on, for the most part, and their grandchildren, their great-grandchildren, to have these really great lives mm-hmm. and doing, like, all sorts of different things, but because they had their freedom yeah. to do that. And I really do wonder if Thomas Jefferson did have other children who were also enslaved, with, you know, if he had sex with other women who were slaves, and what happened to them in their lives. Yeah. We'll never know. We won't, unless people just do DNA testing. It's kind of like, you know, people—I I, want to be very careful about how I phrase this, because mm-hmm. I, I don't want to sound as though I'm one of those people who says that we, by enslaving these people and bringing them to America, offered them— something, some kind of advantage. You know, there's that, there's that argument that apologists make. Uh, Which is just like, yeah, there's, you know, 400 years of terrible, terrible shit. Right, right. But you got it so good now. No. No, no. But it makes me wonder, especially because of just the way that black people were viewed Mm. at the time as being less than human, as being chattel, as being Mm -hmm. good for only one thing, Mm -hmm. how much untapped talent Mm -hmm. across the board there was. You know, you've got this guy that you're talking about who became a great chef. Yeah. You're talking about people who were incredible musicians. And if these people have been free to pursue their passions and their talents, talents, what what would have happened? How different would this country have been Mm -hmm. if we had actually Mm -hmm. outlawed slavery at our conception, you mm-hmm. know? Yeah, I mean, that's one of the one of the big things that is the tragedy of slavery is not only did you take away people's autonomy and freedom, but you also took away, too, these larger contributions to life. Yeah, you and, deprived and the world of amazing talent. And all of these things. Mm-hmm. And that's, I mean, that's kind of the same with any sort of historical discussion, when you're, whether you're talking about women, you know, when you're talking about slavery in the U.S. or any other place in the Americas, or other minority groups throughout time where people were persecuted and were not given the same chances and opportunities is how much was lost yeah. because of that and how different the world would be today had people been given those same opportunities. And you get a small glimpse of that, especially when you start looking into the early 1900s, really late 1800s into early 1900s, mm-hmm. when so many Black people would go to France. Yeah. And because they were allowed to flourish there. They still, yeah. it still wasn't completely equitable. No. But, but they were allowed were different. To, yeah, yeah, they were allowed to explore things. And yeah. You see how much incredible talent and intellect was happening there among the black community. Oh yeah, and I think, I think that's so cool not talked about often enough in history and school as it should be. Mm-hmm. When you talk about like expatriates, 
It's really interesting. I took a class in college on expatriate writers in France, oh, in cool. Paris in particular. Yeah. We're talking about like James Baldwin, of course, and just the opportunities that were afforded to people that weren't in the U.S. But then France has its own very different history of racism, and that looks a lot different in some ways than the U.S., but then, of course, there are a lot of overlaps, mm -hmm. too, and, you know, in Western Europe in, in general, but... I don't think there's a single country in the world that doesn't have some form of racism going on with it. Yeah, people um, are great. People are just pretty uh, terrible, Yeah, you know? It's just, it's pick your poison. Which type of racism do you want? And that's the theme of this podcast. Woo people are awful. People are awful. No, I mean, it's... I, I wish that historically people could have had, obviously, you know, have had the same chances and opportunities. And I, I don't know. It would be really cool if there was like a really cool writer to imagine. What would life have been like? I was just had thinking. Had this terrible thing not happened. You know, there's that show, I think it's called The Man in the High Castle. Mm -hmm. That's like, yeah. what if we hadn't won Yeah, World what War if the II? Nazis and the Japanese had won World War II? What yeah. would life be like today? It would be so cool to see a series on what would it be like if slavery had been outlawed. Yeah, if, it, if that was never a thing in the Americas, what would... What would America be like today? Yeah. I think we'd be in such a completely different place. Mm -hmm. Obviously, there would still probably be some issues about racism because, mm. again, people are terrible. Yep. <laughs> but we would be so much further ahead than we are now. You think I, so? I would have to think. Yeah. I would have to think. Yeah. I would hope that we wouldn't be dealing with things like, you know, police brutality. I would hope so. Or, or even if, like, what if during the Revolutionary War, they had decided at that moment, we are going to go ahead and abolish slavery mm -hmm. and not wait another 80 years. Mm -hmm. How different mm -hmm. would life be today? Yeah. And how different would that saying. time have been if slavery had not been allowed to continue? And obviously the concession at the time was they wanted to get Southern states on board with the revolution. So that was like, well, we'll, we'll allow it because you guys well, want it. And, and it would have affected the economy tremendously. It would have. It but once you get through those growing pains. Yeah. I, I just wonder, like, if they had kept that original thing in the declaration of, like, we're going to abolish slavery. And if Jefferson personally was like, I've got to do this because I said it publicly, so i got to do it in my personal life. What would have happened? Yeah. With, with people and how would the country have just grown differently? I don't know. It's, it's so, if he had actually done it, then maybe he could have had a truly consensual relationship with Sally. Maybe. Maybe. And I always wonder, too, with Thomas Jefferson and Sally Hemings, did his daughter Patsy know that Sally was her aunt? Mm. How close were they when they were in France together, too? Because they were only a couple of years apart in age. I'm sure that they I'm sure that they were kind of friends. Yeah. I mean, they must have had some sort of bond. They would, they would have been very lonely and isolated otherwise, and that would have been the only other person who would have had some sort of similar experience right. of being a teen girl from America in a brand new country yeah. together. How long I did you say they were over there? A couple of years. A couple of years, okay. Mm -hmm. So she was still, Patsy was still a young to middling teen when they She came was, back. and at one point she did go to a convent school run by nuns. So it's, everybody did at that point. Yeah, and it's interesting. Like, I read one of his letters to Patsy in response to a letter she had written to her dad of like, oh, I'm kind of tired of the school, da 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 And he was like, tell your typical like dad advice, like you got to try hard, you know, listen to your teachers, study, do your best that you can, yeah. apply yourself, da 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 And 
knowing now, like he was talking to his daughter, but then he was carrying on this affair with someone who was basically the same age as his daughter. Like, how did he reconcile that? I don't know. I don't know either. That's. I don't know. And it's like, he obviously contributed so many impactful things to not only like American politics, but American our American culture. culture and ethos and like what we think of as American mm-hmm. comes specifically from Thomas Jefferson. Not only other founding fathers, but like Thomas Jefferson in particular. Yeah. But then knowing like he did these horrible, horrible things. It kind hard. of, it brings me into like modern cancel culture, which mm-hmm. I think is highly problematic in and of itself mm. because of, I think that sometimes we're too quick to cancel mm-hmm. something without mm-hmm. understanding fully the implications of what that means. Okay. Because like, for instance, by, if, if we're being totally fair by modern rules, he should totally be canceled because. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. However, at the same time, like you said, he made so many impactful contributions that it's impossible to really cancel him because you have to appreciate West Point. You have to appreciate the University of Virginia. And you can't just pretend that this person never existed. Yeah, but he also did some things too that have a lot of negative impacts. Like and talk about the militarism of the U.S. Oh, yeah, for sure. Talk about the expansion of like going West and this idea of manifest destiny. I think that really originated mm-hmm. with the Lewis and Clark expedition. 100%. He was also pretty pro-American Indian removal too. Yeah. Prior to Andrew Jackson Trail of Tears. But that's why I think it's more important to have conversations about that than it is to cancel the person. Yeah, so I... I I think that when you lose the opportunity to have a conversation, when you just quickly cancel that person and say, Mm. "Uh, no more of them, and you miss out on really important points like you yeah. were just saying. Like it's important to acknowledge that this person existed even if it's even if he didn't have any positive contributions, yeah. even if they were all negative contributions. It's important to acknowledge the existence of this person so that you can get to the root of where some of these movements started, like you were saying. He mm-hmm. did fund the Lewis and Clark expedition and that did contribute and the Louisiana to purchase yeah that did contribute the to territory, this yeah so it's it's so important I think to take a step back mm-hmm. when you encounter these problematic figures mm-hmm. and acknowledge that they're problematic but not cancel them to be able to have a full conversation about who they were and, yeah. and why we're dealing with things with negative implications now mm-hmm. of their actions, you mm-hmm. know? When you talk about cancel culture, I think it, I think it's diff- difficult. Mm, the wine got me. <laughs> we're having a very serious conversation over a wine. A bottle of wine. <laughs> we are at the bottom of the bottle at this point. <laughs> I think it's hard to cancel a historical figure because mm-hmm. that time has passed. Whereas if it's a contemporary person who's still getting movie roles or, you know, album deals or things like that, where it's easy to be like, I don't want to actively give my money or time or energy to this person who's still alive and working versus like, yeah, let's explore the complexities of this historical figure to understand why we are where we are today. It's kind of like Christopher Columbus Mm. where... Do I agree with, so first of all, I want to clarify, I'm not saying I'm pro like keeping up Confederate statues and things like that. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that these people should be honored. Well, and a lot I'm of just that was very not, post-Confederacy too. So like that's yeah. a, a historical thing to note. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think that figures that are 
this problematic should be honored. Yeah. I'm just saying they shouldn't be wiped out of conversation. No, I, I agree with you. They need to be part of the conversation. I don't think Jefferson needs to remain on our currency. I was about to say that. Yeah. yeah. I think that there are other people who like, let's put Sally Hemings on currency let's for a little while. It. Let's yeah. do that. You know, remembrances of things that are related to that person. Sure. But maybe this person needs to be honored a little bit more. Right. Christopher Columbus is one of those where I don't I don't think that we should have Columbus Day. I fully support having, you know, Indigenous Peoples Day. Oh, of course, yeah. But, but we can't also pretend you, Columbus never happened. Right, exactly. Yeah. Because to do that is to erase also the crimes that he committed against these people. Right. And that's not fair to those people. Right. I think it's just maybe a matter of how we discuss history and frame our conversations about it. It's kind of like, you know, you and I both listen to a lot of true crime podcasts mm-hmm. and watch true crime things where... It's like, let's not become so obsessed with the murderer. Mm -hmm. Let's honor the victims and Mm -hmm. tell their stories. Mm -hmm. And obviously the murderer is part of that story. Part of the story, but it should not be the focus of the story. He's not the central person. And I say he because it's almost always. (laughs) It's almost always. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, agreed. Agreed. All right. Are we ready for a verdict? After this impassioned speech. I know, right? Yeah, I guess so. I think we have to do a two-part. I think so. I I think think we we have to, to be fair. Yeah. So in terms of the wine, the Federalist wine, Mm -hmm. the Cabernet Sauvignon, not not guilty. guilty. I think this is delightful. Yeah. It has remained extremely smooth. Mm -hmm. It is belchy, but I've managed to like. (laughs) I was going to say you're going to address this. But I've managed to kind of keep it, like, reined in a little bit. Yeah, we'll see in the audio later. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this is a delightful dinner party wine, I think. Yeah, um, I would buy this would wine. That would be great yeah. food. 100%. Yeah. In terms of Thomas Jefferson? Guilty. 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 I, mm. Problematic as fuck. Yes. Some very interesting, potentially positive contributions to American history and culture. Yes. However, still just riddled with problematic features. I don't know, like, whatever his feelings were towards Sally, I don't know how he could have kept his children. Yeah. Enslaved. Yeah. Especially when he showed such, such, oh boy, affection toward his daughter, Patsy. Like, how could he not have had that toward his kids? He had to have had some kind of feeling that they were still less than human, that they were somehow less than He must have. He must have. Even though at that point, too, like, his kids were so white passing that people are like, yeah, they look just like Thomas Jefferson. That son has red hair just like Thomas Jefferson does. You're guilty, motherfucker. Yeah. There's no way around it, really. No way around it. And it's so disappointing that somebody who advocated for freedom, for liberty, for these inalienable rights Mm -hmm. just to not do that in his personal life because it wasn't convenient for him. Yeah. I mean, it definitely says a lot for even modern day issues with us about Mm -hmm. walking the walk rather than just saying, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's so much more than just putting a blackout on your Facebook profile picture and yeah, you actually have to do things and not just say things to sound good. Right. Right. Exactly. It's your actions. Yep. Yeah. Well, if on that note, <laughs> <laughs> on that note, honestly, get involved. And yeah. I, so this is something that I really have been passionate about over the last several years. 
as I've talked to people who are more conservative, mm -hmm. perhaps, and don't, or at least claim not to see oh. some of the problems mm -hmm. that our society is still dealing with, stop talking for your Black friends if you claim to have Black friends and start talking to them and asking questions and just shutting up and letting them answer. Listen. Yeah. Listen, listen to, to people. Listen to your Black and friends. And believe people when they actually tell you their experiences. Mm -hmm. Don't try to argue against because that's maybe not your experience. I think that if you're in a place right now where you're struggling with what's happening in society in this kind of black versus white discussion that people seem to be having, the first step is listening. And it's mm -hmm. going to be a lot more clear to you how to act on things mm -hmm. once you've started listening. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed 100%. I mean, the U.S. has a complex history, and I think all we can do really right now in the 21st century is really try to understand mm -hmm. our history and listen to the people who that history yeah. really impacts on a day-to-day -day basis. I mean, it's even difficult <laughs> to have a conversation like we've had today without having a person of color present, you know? We're, is, and we're yeah. trying to be as respectful and unassuming as we can. But there's, still, trying there's to advocate. still probably a lot that we're missing out on and that yeah. we just don't get because of our experiences as white people. So 100%. just try to be aware of that and, and do better than the people <laughs> in the past, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. We're all trying to learn, hopefully trying to learn. Should that's, be. That's you the should first be trying to step. learn. Should be. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, that's one page that we can take out of Thomas Jefferson's book is. His vast library of over 8,000 books. That's, that's a lot of books. Wow, that's wild. Yeah, a lot of books. Which again, like, I'm like, how do you love learn? Uh, whatever, we've talked yeah, about We've that. talked about it. <laughs> we're not I'm only going to repeat myself again because we're at the bottom of the bottle, but. Right. But still. Well, if you have suggestions for other historical figures or wines we should try, let us know. If you listen to this and you are a person of color and you have some perspective that you want to try and add to it, to the conversation, mm -hmm. help us learn, please reach out to us. Yes, absolutely. We want to learn and contribute positively to the pop culture yeah. conversations yeah, that are this, going on right now. This is obviously more than more often than not a comedy podcast. Yes. But that doesn't mean that we can't still learn and be respectful and... I don't think that. comedy is the opposite of learning. I think it goes yeah. hand in hand. I think, I think it goes it really well together. It should. It pairs well. It pa oh, wine phrase. look at you. Look at me. Cheers to you. Yes. Well, on that note, <laughs> if you have questions for us, uh, please reach out. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. We are not an island. We rely yeah. on your interactions. So. Absolutely. So you can reach us at True Crimes Against Wine at Gmail, TikTok. Also, Facebook and Instagram. That's right. Yeah. And if you ever have a sidebar question, we'll send you some swag. That's right. That is right. Sorry, I belched again. Okay. <laughs> yes, not a belchy wine. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. And until next time, cheers. Cheers. Bye. Bye.